Hello everyone, we hope you're having a great day. My name is Bobby Katagola, and I am joined by my co-host and friend, Parsha Kasuri. Welcome back to our podcast, Growth Spurt, the best podcast you'll find on the internet about everything and anything, from public policy all the way to cellular physiology. So Harsha, who do we have on today's episode? Well, today we have the privilege of talking to Dr. Sonal Nalkar, who is a lecturer at Emory University. Yep. Dr. Nalkar's research is really unique. She uses her background in sociology and experience as a social worker to understand the ins and outs of criminology, cultural sociology, and the sociology of different types of organizations. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Dr. Nalkar. Uh, so before we begin, how are you doing? We know you just had a baby, so congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm doing great. I've been on leave for the past year and we'll be going back to teaching this month. So I'm really excited to see students again, um, even though the past year has been wonderful despite COVID, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great to hear. Um, so you have a really great, unique background that we think our listeners would find really interesting. So we'd love it if you can maybe go over how you became a lecturer at Emory University and sort of the the path that you took to get here. Yeah, um, it's a little circuitous, as you might have figured out. Um, I actually started off in engineering because in high school, I love math and physics. And so I went to Cornell for engineering and um, I liked parts of it and not other parts of it. And I think when I started interning, I took internships in engineering and did some programming and figured out it really wasn't for me. Um, I switched over to English literature and I ended up doing a master's in English and really um, began to find my own voice academically. And that's really when I fell in love with research. Um, After that, I did a master's in communications at University of Pennsylvania. There, I did projects for the Partnership for Drug-Free America. We're trying to understand how advertising works, how political campaigns work. After that, I went to New York and I worked in politics for a while. We did research and political strategy. So again, I was using a lot of my research skills sort of out in the field. And we worked with Republicans and Democrats, but we were working with female candidates, offering strategies just to get more women in the political pipeline. After that, I became a kindergarten teacher for a little while in the Middle East, and then I went to Stanford and started studying sociology. So that's really where I started um, developing my love for sociology. And the crazy thing is I had never even taken a sociology class before then. Um, There, I melded my own personal life with my research interests, and I began to study dating. I was in my mid-20s and had started dating myself, and I was so confused by the whole thing. I thought it was the weirdest social phenomenon ever, and it turns out a lot of economists were studying it already, and so um, me and my advisor at the time decided to delve in a little bit deeper and bring some of the sociological theory that we were aware of and bring it into um, to their studies to build on them. After that, I came to Emory and, uh, well, I worked for a startup for a little while in in California, and then I came to Emory and did my PhD in sociology, and I've kind of been there ever since. So, yeah, um, not a very logical or obvious path, but one with a lot of adventure. (laughs) So, Yeah, I mean, it seems like you've been almost everywhere because you've also taught kindergarten in the Middle East as well. 
So that's really inspiring because I feel like the second you realize that what you were going into wasn't for you, you had the courage to just change and do what you felt or you found your niche that you felt would be perfect for you. So can you tell us like what exactly the current research you're doing is what you're conducting right now? Yeah, yeah. So I am currently lecture, uh, lecturer. So I am not producing um, research for academic journals. A few years ago, um, and maybe perhaps even before then on some subconscious level, I knew that I wanted the research I do to impact society. So even when I was studying dating, I was more interested in sharing my observations with single people or people who felt like they had trouble in the dating world. And so, um, and I think academic work is brilliant and so necessary, but it was not my forte. So the work that we're doing right now is we're working closely with the um, Fulton County District Attorney's Office, so they're here in Atlanta, on um, problems of gang violence. So how does gang violence happen? How do retaliatory acts happen? And there's been a lot of sociological research, a lot of great work actually coming out of Chicago that we're building on and helping to uh, using to help understand what's going on in Atlanta. We'd like the work to help um, community organizations that are on the ground trying to um, you know, reduce gang violence, to solve gang issues. And they're pretty complex as you might imagine, but we have the research skills. So what I'm hoping is uh, we formed a team at Emory some of my colleagues who are brilliant researchers, much smarter than I am, are doing a lot of the data collection, a lot of the analysis, making both observational and predictive models. And my job here is to translate some of that for some of the different parties involved. Because um, sometimes academic work can be somewhat difficult to understand. It can be jargony, even if it is very valuable. So I like my role as someone sort of in between as a communicator. Um, and I really do hope, and I do believe that the work can help people on the ground. Um, it can help educators. It can help social activists as well. Yeah, I think that's really inspiring, especially because I think a lot of us, we sort of have like the idea of like curing cancer or doing different types of research like that because we generally want to make an impact on society. So I think it's really cool that you're able to do that but sort of with like a different approach. Um, so as high schoolers, we have a lot of different extracurriculars and activities that we try to get involved in. Um, and a lot, a lot of the times there's a lot of students that get burnt out or they sort of lose interest um, in that specific activity. So I was kind of wondering like, what's the motivation behind, like behind your research? Like what sort, I guess like, uh, what makes you like get up in the morning and like go to your, um, your computer or wherever you work and start like conducting research. Oh my gosh. And it sounds like it's related to how to not burn out in some yeah. way, right? <laughs> I mean, I can't promise any, uh, you know, any strategies against burnout, but the thing I think that works for me is being around other people who yeah. love it as well and who think differently than I do. Because the truth is, you know, some days you're tired, some days you're excited. And so on the days that I'm excited, I wanna be the person that my colleagues can lean on. And on the days that I'm tired, I might lean on them. 
you know, I think building relationships in research is so essential. I know um, you've spoken about this on your podcast before, but one of the reasons research uh, partnerships is important is to help avoid burnout. You know, I say rely on the people around you and I've been really lucky to have amazing colleagues that allow us, uh, allow me to do that. Yeah, I think that's really important because when you're in that fixed mindset of constantly researching or doing something, it's like everything else kind of fades to the back. And because of that, it's hard for you to take care of yourself and all these other things that you don't assume are important, but in the long run, they are extremely important. Mm -hmm. So the next question we wanted to ask is what might um, someone who might want to enter the field of sociology, what might, what is like a piece of advice that you could give them? Someone who wants to enter sociology. You know, it's really interesting because I generally advise students to not become sociologists. That is the <laughs> truth. Um, I really see sociology. I mean, if you want to be sociologist, great. But I really see sociology as one of those fields that can make you better at the thing that you want to do. So I have a lot of students who are pre-med, a lot of students who are pre-law. And my hope is that the stuff they learn in my classroom makes them a better doctor, makes them a better lawyer, makes them a better neuroscientist. Because sociology is one of those disciplines that can be quite relevant and deeply connected to different fields. I think for someone who is interested in sociology, I think having both an analytical mind and a good imagination is really helpful. One of the things I love about sociology is the possibility of imagining a different world. And we do call it the sociolo sociological imagination. So one of the things I ask my students in Social 101 to imagine is, could marriage look different, right? So for many years in this country, marriage was only heterosexual. Now we're seeing some changes in those laws. But could it look even more different? Because currently marriage licenses last forever. Could they just last seven years and then come up for renewal the way driver's licenses do? Passports expire. Why don't marriage licenses expire? So uh, my favorite sociologists are those who are analytical but can also imagine new possibilities and ways of seeing our social world. You know, what does it look like to have a world with no cancer? How do we approach our health then? What does it look like to not have obesity as a social pandemic or a stigmatized way of living life? I really love sociologists who do that. And I think anyone who is curious enough to take that perspective will make a great sociologist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I guess like understanding those different uh, perspectives and acknowledging them, that's really important, especially because like those different um, those different things lead to different answers. So because you have like so many different life experiences and so many different perspectives, um, I was wondering whether you found any distinct correlations between uh, your different types of interests. Like I know you mentioned before that you previously studied dating. Was there any sort of, I guess, um, similarities between the research that you did there compared to the research that you're doing now with like gang violence? 
Yeah, there really are. Um, there are many, but I think the most immediate one is that there are patterns to social behavior. And ultimately that's why we can study it. So it turns out dating isn't completely chaotic and crazy as it felt, right? I felt like it did when I was in the throes of it, but there are patterns that you see in society, right? So trying to understand those, why do those patterns exist? How do they come about? What are they? Same thing with gang violence, that actually there are patterns with the way gangs work, how they're organized, how they retaliate, when things happen, how things happen. And so understanding those patterns is difficult, but those things can enable us to understand to generate predictive modeling, which we can do. Of, of course, they're all probabilistic, right? They're not deterministic, but um, I think understanding and really getting that there are patterns in social behavior is mind-blowing. Yeah, I think um, I di actually did a course in sociology at Baylor um, a couple months ago, yeah. and. Um, patterns was a big thing, kind of taking a broad step back and seeing the patterns between different cultures and then society as a whole. Yeah, and then the next thing that I wanted to talk about, I actually got really excited when Bavik mentioned this to me, but um, he said that you would be, um, so our community is very saturated with Asian Americans and we sort of have this like predetermined idea that we all are supposed to be doctors, engineers, or and and go to a super like good college. And Bavik said that you'd like to talk about how you navigated these expectations and how you ended up um, becoming a sociologist at Emory. Yeah, well, I do like to talk about it. And I will say it's not easy and it's probably still ongoing even though I'm squarely middle-aged now. So <laughs> it doesn't really end. But I do think um, the the, the greatest thing that allowed me sort of some level of autonomy to experiment, you know, a lot of people would say, follow your passion. And I'm like, yeah, but my parents are Indian. I can't just do that, you know, um, was to get funding, right? Was to find a way to get funding. So all of my grad school was funded by other people. My parents didn't pay for it. And the truth is, when your parents, when you're not reliant on them paying for things, you do have more autonomy, right? You can make more decisions for yourself. And I think the second part of that was bringing my family along on the journey with me. I began to share more because even when I first shared with my parents that while I was at Stanford, I was going to study dating. I think they were so confused about all of those possibilities, right? Like, I think there are many other things they would have rather I studied, but I let them into my research world and I let them understand why I was doing what I did and what I loved. And, you know, I realized that the reason my parents had wanted me to be an engineer when I was much younger was because my father was an engineer and he loved it. And he was also able to provide his family with a lot of security because of it. When they saw that I was able to do those things by pursuing the things that I loved, um, they began to join me on my journey as well. And I don't expect people to change overnight, but ultimately the reason that we're asked to become doctors and engineers is because our community wants us to make certain kinds of contributions. And I think it's a beautiful thing, but these are other areas and there are other ways to make those contributions. 
Yeah, I think that's like some really good advice that all of us could use, especially because it's really relatable. Um, so I think, I guess like another question that we have that sort of applies to most of us is like, how do you overcome the challenges of trying to understand and read really complex material? Because I feel like a lot of the times when high school students are trying to get into really complex areas of research, they have a really tough time trying to understand like what's really going on. And so what are some of like the tips or like advice that you have uh, for those types of people? Yeah, um, don't read from start to finish. Mm -hmm. I think reading from beginning to end, that's how you read a novel. That's not how you read academic literature, right? And I, my own personal experience with academic literature, which honestly, I love, I really love it. But oftentimes the first time I, something I read as an undergrad, I will read a few years later and I will get something completely different out of it because they are so densely written. There's a lot of layers of understanding. So don't read from beginning to end. When you read something, be able to get at least two or three things out of the article and then be able to have two or three questions about it and take those questions to someone else who has that expertise and ask them. One of my favorite things is when a student comes to my office and says, hey, I only understood the first paragraph and I understood nothing else after. Um, I will ask them, okay, what specifically didn't you understand? And then we have amazing conversations. Most of us who are professors are doing it because we love this stuff. So ask us, ask someone who loves this material. If you're reading a particular author, we love getting emails from people who read our stuff because we just assume nobody reads it most of the time, you know? So if you are reading, you know, an academic article and there's no one you know who can answer your questions, write to the person and see, take a chance. You never know. But I do what I do because I love it. And there's a good chance many of the people on your podcast love what they're doing just because they love it. And yeah, we'd love to share why we wrote what we did. So it's always worth a shot. Some of us are better at explaining things than others are is the truth, but it's worth a shot, right? Yeah, I really feel that because when I was reading in that sociology book, luckily my um, professor wrote the book. So I asked him a lot of questions. <laughs> but the first read, I read it like three times and I still didn't understand it because I was yeah. reading it like a novel. But I think like understanding that like you can read it a thousand times, but it's not going to make a difference. You need to talk to the person who wrote it. It kind of gives you more clarity. But that's the so, cool thing. Like if you don't understand it when you first start and then later you understand a little bit more, it means you learned something. Like yeah. that's awesome, isn't it? And I think, you know, I like that you're not expecting to learn everything in there. Like I think that's okay. And I think in high school, I thought I should understand everything I read. And then by the time I finished grad school, I realized it's okay if you don't. And <laughs> that's hard to accept. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have one last question for you. And it's kind of an overarching question. It should be, um, what is the end goal of research as a whole? Is it to better society? Is it to contribute to uh, certain aspects of the field is there can it be clumped up in one answer what is that like can it be some can it even be summarized in one sentence but what is the end goal of all of research 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, the truth is that you can ask me and you can ask the, my colleagues whose office is right across the hall from me and we probably have very different answers. But pretty much everyone I know at the university is dedicated to understanding some form of truth, right? We're trying to get deeper into knowledge because we're trying to better understand the world. Now, what we do with that will vary because some of my colleagues are activists. They're like, no, the purpose of this knowledge is to change the world. And others will say, no, the purpose is to deepen our knowledge, right? But I think all of us will agree that, that we do, that we explore the world in a disciplined and fair way, that the quality of our knowledge is high. And the universities give us the space to do that. I mean, journalists don't have that space. Journalists are very constricted by time. And academics, we have the luxury of time. And with that luxury, we actually expect to purchase higher quality of knowledge. So I think high quality of knowledge in the aim of some kind of truth or bettering society is usually it, even though people will differ on, on that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's also really interesting because I guess it's sort of more of like a philosophical type of question, but um, I think it's really cool that, especially in our community in Plano, we have a lot of high schoolers that are really passionate about contributing to like this big idea of like research, right? Mm. They want to try and change the world, but they also want to learn at the same time. Yeah. I think it's really important, uh, especially for everyone to like understand that you don't all have to be like solving cancer or I guess like finding the cure to like COVID-19, but even just like learning and growing from like different types of research experiences, um, that's also just like uh, just as important. Um, yeah, thank you so much for that answer. Well, yeah, sometimes I know many of us dream that the thing that we publish maybe gets into the hands of the person who, you know, solves a certain pandemic or solves something else. So there's so many different roles to be played. And a lot of people with PhDs are not in universities and are out there like, you know, working on cancer research. So actually one of my best friends in my sociology program is one of the head researchers at the American Cancer Society, wow. right? Not a physician, a sociologist, and that's what they needed. So yeah, I think there's many ways to make the world a better place. And uh, yeah, you guys will do it. You will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was talking to a doctor as well and he asked me, why do I want to be a doctor? And I think this was a couple of years ago, but I said that I want to contribute to society and help people. And he said that one of the first things he said is there's so many other fields besides um, just being a doctor that can help people. And I think that's important because in this community, there's a lot of focus on going into those fields, but it's so much more broad than just one or two fields. Yeah, but Harsha, one of the things I love that you've begun to do is you're not just thinking about the type of job you want, you're talking about the type of person you want to be in society, right? Yeah. And one of the ways to do that is by becoming a doctor. I mean, doctors do amazing work, but it sounds to me that you're getting clearer on the type of contribution you want to make. And I think if that leads you, then you will find the right profession for you, whether that is a physician or you know, something adjacent to medicine. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's also like the topic where like people talk about like, if you wanna help people and become a doctor, why not become a teacher? Cause teachers, they like, they basically create like the next generation. And so I've seen this argument online where people are like, 
are teachers more valuable than doctors? Or like, it's just like, it's a really cool question just to think about because yeah. I think it really speaks to like someone's values, like, like so, yeah. what like they really like think is important and yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I have a response to that that maybe some of your parents might, which is, well, who's going to pay the bills? Mm -hmm. And I've yeah. often wondered, I'm a huge advocate of changing teacher salaries because I believe if they were the same as doctors, then the composition of teachers, the demographic would be wildly different in this mm -hmm. country. You know, yes, they should be respected. But as a sociologist, I have to ask the question, why do we pay teachers so little money, you know? And the truth is like, one of the reasons a lot of us go into medicine is for the financial gain, right? We can't extract that from our professions. But I do think just as I think about the sociological imagination in ways of thinking about the social world, I implore my students to use it when they're thinking about their own careers and the types of contributions they want to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that was all our questions and i don't think we want to waste any more of your time but truly thank you so much dr nelker it's this was really helpful and the relatability that you're able to give us is sure to pass on to our viewers um before we leave do you have any last words of advice for um high schoolers no i mean i i actually think you guys are doing a great job um yeah, of, of um exploring professions in a really wide, you know, or wide range of professions and thinking of research in um, a really broad way, which I love and I thank you for, because I know there is a tendency to just look at STEM. And I mean, I'm a big fan of STEM too. I loved engineering, even though it wasn't right for me. So do I have advice? No, it's, I mean, thinking more about the type of person you wanna be in this world and then developing relationships that you love, you know, good friends, good professional relationships. I love my colleagues. They've prevented me from, you know, burning out. They've given me better ideas. They've helped me think in better ways. And my friends have loved, you know, showed me so much love. So have a lot of love, have a lot of intellectual inquiry and something, something great will happen, right? <laughs> it has to. Thank you guys. It's been such an honor. Yeah, really thank you so much. Your time. Yeah, um, yeah, this is really great. I think the conversation that we had was really inspiring and you gave us some great advice as well. So thank you so much. Um, but if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, comment on our posts and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.